If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, the very last chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. This morning we'll be looking at verses 17 through 31. I do have to say it's a bit sad to finish the book of Acts. It's been a joy to work through this part of God's Word, to be reminded of of so many foundational truths uh, in the life of the church as we've seen Jesus at work through the early church in the book of Acts and in many ways seen uh, Jesus at work now uh, as he continues to faithfully work in and through his people across the ages. Uh, and so we, I praise the Lord for this time that we've had since last April uh, going through the book of Acts. And uh, it's a joy to, to be able to go through God's word together and to see him bear fruit in our lives. Uh, that being said, if you are able, would you stand with me as we read from God's word? Acts chapter 28, verses 17 through 31. Pay careful attention. This is God's word. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. They said to him, to Paul, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. You tell us that your word is sweeter than honey, even the drippings from the honeycomb. Lord, would you stir up within us uh, that kind of desire for your word, that we would hunger and thirst for it and be satisfied in it. 
So teach us today, we pray by your Holy Spirit, uh, illumine our hearts and minds to understand what has been written for our edification, lead us into all truth as you have promised to do, and we pray, as always, that in this you would help us to see Jesus, for we pray in his name, amen. Everyone loves a good story, especially when that story has a good ending. Uh, We want a story that wraps everything up, pulls all the loose threads together, rights the wrongs, and sends us off into the sunset, living happily ever after. But Acts does not do that for us, does it? Uh, Acts ends with a definite feel of to be continued. I don't know if you've had that experience where you watch a movie and all of the action is kind of ramping up and you get to the last 10 minutes and you think, how are they going to pull all this together? And then it ends to be continued. And you've got to wait five years for the next Spider-Man or something. This, that's kind of how the ending of Acts feels. We, it, things have been ramping up. Paul has been on his way to Jerusalem and then now on his way to Rome. And he's gone through all these different defenses before these different groups. He's been accused of things. His innocence has been declared again and again, and now he's finally in Rome, and we we kind of expect some sort of like reverse uh, court scene from A Few Good Men. You remember that movie with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson? That famous scene where Jack Nicholson is in the he's on the um, on the dock, and Tom Cruise is grilling him. You know, we want the truth. You can't handle the truth. We kind of want this scene where Paul has finally made it before. Caesar's tribunal and the prosecution is there and and the prosecution is saying we want the truth and we see Paul victoriously saying I've got the truth you can have the truth I've been trying to give you the truth this whole time we want that kind of climax to the end of the book of Acts and that's not what we get Uh, we don't get that kind of climax we get uh, a feeling of there's more to the story Uh, and the reason is there is more to the story Uh, The end of Acts is not the end of the whole story. It doesn't give us the whole picture of God's work in the world. It's one part of the greater unfolding of God's redemptive work throughout history. The end comes, we're told, uh, what the end will be like in the uh, final book of the New Testament, Revelation 21 and 22. We see the final bringing together of all things. When Christ returns, God himself wipes away all tears, puts an end to sin and all of its effects, brings a new heavens and a new earth, and we dwell with God forever. Uh, we, We worship before the throne of God for all eternity. Then all the wrongs are made right. Then all of the loose threads are pulled together. Then we really do live happily ever after in the fullest sense of that expression. But the question that Luke presses upon us here in the end of Acts and that he answers for us is this. What do we do in between? What do we do in between Paul in prison under house arrest rather for two years in Rome and that great day when Christ will gather his people forever? What do we do? You see, the end of Acts is not... The uh, primarily about the end of Paul's story. It's about God's ongoing story. That God is at work expanding the reach of the gospel, 
He's at work spreading and establishing his kingdom, pushing back against the kingdom of Satan, winning for himself territory that seems to be lost, if you will. God is at work. The reach of the gospel is spreading throughout the world through the proclamation of the good news that Jesus has died, Jesus has risen, and he is drawing all men to himself. And so today, as we consider our continuing role, our, our part in this in-between as witnesses to Jesus, we want to look at three things. We want to look at how the story ends. We want to look at why it ends this way. And we want to ask what it means for us. So let's look first at how the story ends. Uh, two, two things to note. The story ends abruptly and it ends anticlimactically. I think I said that right. It's a lot of letters I had to write it three times to make sure it was correct. It ends abruptly. It just stops. There's, there's no wrapping up here. Uh, we don't get a final report on Paul's life after this. We don't, you know, we don't really have any kind of authoritative record of what happened to Paul after this time period. There's kind of conflicting, a couple of conflicting stories through uh, ancient church history. So we have some idea, but we don't really know. Uh, at least not from Acts, we don't really know. It leaves questions unanswered. Did Paul make it to Spain? That was his desire when he wrote to the Romans about three years before this. I'm going to stop through in Rome. I'm going to see you. We're going to encourage one another. Here's my gospel, and then I'm going to go on to Spain. That, that was his desire. Did he make it to Spain? We don't know. Uh, we do know from church history, at least uh, I think reliably, uh, that Paul dies about four years after this, this episode, or two years kind of after the end of the book of Acts. He's in Rome for two years, and uh, as far as we can tell, he dies around 64 A.D., uh, martyred for his faith. But Luke doesn't tell us any of that. It's, it's an abrupt ending. Just he's there two years doing this, full stop. So it's abrupt. It also feels somewhat anticlimactic, doesn't it? We want the big ending. We want Paul fully vindicated for all to see. We want to see how things wind up. And if at the end of it, it feels like um, there's this anticlimax. It's much like um, it, it feels ordinary, if I can put it that way. It feels very ordinary. It reminds me of the way in which the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy ends. Some, some of you love those books. Some of you don't care about those books, but they're great books. Uh, the way that the Lord of the Rings trilogy ends, that uh, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote back in the uh, 40s and 50s or so, uh, there's this, this is an epic adventure story. Good and evil, uh, unexpected heroes doing great things to save the world. It's a beautiful story. And at the end of the story, one of the heroes, Frodo Baggins, he has taken this evil ring of power. He has brought it to its place of origin. He has destroyed it. Through that, they have conquered this evil force that has been threatening uh, all the peoples of this land. There's a great wedding at the end. Aragorn, the king, is uh, crowned, and he takes to himself his beloved bride. There's a big celebration about that. Frodo and his friends go back home to this little village that kind of seems like an English village. And there's all this corruption, all these bad things going on. They clean it up. They establish order and peace. 
And then at the end of it, Frodo Baggins and his friend Bilbo, his, his cousin or his uncle Bilbo, uh, they end up going off to this place called the Grey Havens, which is kind of like heaven. And Frodo's best friend, Sam Gamgee, who's kind of the real hero of the story, uh, Sam Gamgee goes back to the Shire, this little ordinary village, not a whole lot going on there. They like things to be calm, no adventures, please, no excitement. Sam Gamgee goes back home after this grand adventure that he's been on. He approaches his house. There's a warm yellow light coming from it. The fire is there. He walks in, finds his beloved wife, Rosie Cotton. She sets him down in his chair, places his daughter upon his lap, and he breathes deeply and says, well, I'm back. And that's the end. That's the end of the story. It feels anticlimactic. It feels so normal and ordinary. And the end of Acts feels normal and ordinary. And that's the point. Why does it end abruptly? Why does it end anticlimactically? We want everything to be wrapped up maybe in some ways because we feel like, well, well, then that was their story. But Luke is telling us it's not their story. It's not Peter's story. It's not Paul's story. It's not primarily about Stephen, about Philip the Evangelist, about Apollos, about Priscilla and Aquila, about Timothy, about any of these other names that we've met all along the way. It's not primarily about any of them. It's not even primarily about Paul even though he occupies so much space in the book of Acts, Luke is telling us every one of them, just like Frodo and Sam, just like all of us, all of us are part of a bigger story. And so Luke ends it abruptly and kind of with an anticlimax to say the story keeps going and, and you've got a role in the story. Because it's God's story, and it's the story of his work in and through his people. The story ends abruptly. It ends anticlimactically. Notice just the way Luke describes Paul's actions in this final chapter. It's very um, terse. He doesn't go into a ton of details, just kind of lots of little verbs summarizing what Paul is doing. He finally makes it to Rome after this journey. He invites Jewish leaders into his home. He declares his innocence with regard to Roman law, with regard to Jewish laws, an ongoing theme. He says he has no ill will toward the Jews. He actually believes in the hope of Israel and that that's why he's wearing these chains. They want to know about Christians, so they establish a time to come back. They come back, and Paul expounds from morning to evening the kingdom of God seeking to persuade them from the scriptures about Jesus, from the law of Moses, and from the prophets. And what do they do? Some believe, some don't. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like almost every other scene that we've seen Paul in in the book of Acts. He shows up at a place, he goes to the Jews, he talks to them about Jesus. Some of them believe, some of them don't. He says, well, I'm going to the Gentiles since you guys are rejecting this. And it's the same thing. Paul is doing the same thing that he's been doing at almost every point that we have encountered him in the book of Acts. It feels anticlimactic because it is. It's not the ultimate ending uh, to the story. And Luke wants to drive home this point that we have a role to play in the remainder of the story. Just consider, for example, 
two things along the way that remind us that this whole book has been about Jesus, the risen and ascended Lord, the Savior, expanding his kingdom, using his people as his witnesses to build his church, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Just consider two things as an example. One, go back to the beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, There, Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and what does he tell them? Uh, They want to know, when's your kingdom coming? And he says, don't don't worry about the the times and epics, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you power. Power to do what? Power to be witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, and then to Judea, and then to Samaria, and even to the remotest, remotest parts of the earth. And then what have we seen throughout the rest of the book? We've seen all of that come to, come to pass. They expand out from Jerusalem. They go into Samaria. And now Paul is in Rome. All, leads, all roads lead to Rome, and therefore all roads lead out of Rome. And Paul is there sending the gospel to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts has been about Jesus expanding his witness. Or consider as a second example, all of the progress reports throughout the book. You may remember at various points uh, in the story, there'll be some, some scene of ministry or proclaiming the gospel, people being converted, miracles happening. And at the end of those sections, Luke will often say something like, the word of God multiplied. The word of God grew. The word of God increased. The disciples multiplied. He's giving us progress all along the way because the story is about Jesus expanding and building his church through the proclamation of his word. It's not about all these individuals primarily. It's about God's work through the gospel. The ongoing, continued work of Jesus through his people. And as we come to this end of the book of Acts, we see that that work continues. And it continues against all adversity. Paul is, he's, he's in prison. Now, it's house arrest, so he's not in a, a dingy dungeon. He's able to welcome and receive friends, but he's, he's in jail. He's got a guard, probably on some sort of rotating schedule, chained with him day and night, keeping watch over him. But notice how Luke ends the whole story, the whole book. Paul is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, that's an amazing statement when you think about where Paul is and what's happening. He's under house arrest, and yet Luke tells us there's nothing stopping the spread of the gospel, which ought to be of great encouragement to us as we consider our role in this. Paul is on house arrest, and yet he is boldly proclaiming the gospel in an unhindered way. We might ask, uh, as we look at how it ends and now at why it ends this way, now we might ask, what does this mean for us? If it ends abruptly and it ends anticlimactically, and the point of that is to say, you've got an ongoing role in this continued work of Jesus and the continued proclamation of his good news, the question now becomes, how do we do this? How do we play our part, and serve our role in this bigger story. So here I'd like to kind of pull several things together that we've seen throughout the rest of the book of Acts as we kind of close. I'm not going to 
end this abruptly. We're not going to be anticlimactic uh, in the sermon, even if the, the book ends that way. We're going to pull some loose ends together, tie a little bow on it, okay? So here, how do we do this? What's, what's our role in the ongoing work of Jesus, expanding his kingdom, spreading the gospel throughout the ends of the earth? Or in other words, how do we bear witness to Jesus? How do we bear witness to Jesus? One, um, I have uh, four, four things. First, we do it in community and not individualistically. I had to spell that one a few times too. We do it in community and not as isolated individuals. This is all throughout the book of Acts, right? From, from the very beginning all the way through Paul's journey to Rome, they're gathering together in community. Acts 2, the disciples gather together the first day of the week uh, to receive the apostles' instruction, to break bread together, to pray together, to worship. And all along the way, as different things pop up, we see the believers gathering together, encouraging one another. The church sends Paul out on a missionary journey with his companions. He comes back. And he reports to them how God was at work. There's this mutual encouragement within the community. Uh, and one, one writer has put it this way, that the gathering of the church, what, you know, what we do on Sunday mornings, if you will, that the gathering of the church, and in many ways, is the training grounds for God's people. We come, we receive, we're reminded of God's grace, we're given the assurance of forgiveness of our sins, Uh, The assurance that his spirit is at work in us. We're equipped with his word and the knowledge of the gospel. And then we're sent out to go into the world wherever the Lord has called you. In the workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, uh, among your family members. You're equipped to go and to bear witness to Jesus as part of the community of God's people. We bear witness in community and not, not solely or as isolated individuals, but in community. There's a high value placed upon the community of God's people in the book of Acts. Secondly, uh, we do it in hope and not in fear. We do it in hope and not in fear. Notice the way Paul describes uh, to these Jewish leaders who have gathered why he is in chains. I'm, I'm in chains because of the hope of Israel. In every opportunity Paul has had to give defense of himself, what has he done? He's directed his hearers to the hope of Israel and Jesus, who died and who rose again to fulfill that hope. I mean, if I were in chains for my faith, I hope I would have that hope that Paul has, that same boldness that he has. He's not fearful. He's not cowering under the power of the state. He is boldly and without hindrance proclaiming the hope of Jesus. How in the world do you do that? How are you sustained in the midst of that kind of persecution, that kind of oppression? We are sustained by the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, a hope that cannot be broken by anything in this life. Paul gives us that example. Peter gives us that as well in his own letter where he reminds believers that we need to always be prepared to give an answer for what? For the hope that is within us. Now, if you think about that for a second, think about Peter's words in particular. Peter was writing to a group of people who were doing what? They were suffering. They were bearing the burden 
of suffering for their faith. And Peter was writing to encourage them, to give them strength to carry on and to keep following Jesus. And he's encouraging them in the midst of that, if you're living under the heavy hand of suffering, people should still be able to see hope, the hope that you have in Christ coming out of you, even in the midst of suffering and affliction. Not backing down in fear, uh, not doing what I'm prone to do, look around me and go, oh, everything's so bad, and just complain about all the way that things are going wrong. No, God's people are meant to be a people of hope, a people who have the answer of life and grace and forgiveness for all around, a people who rely on the strength of God and not on their own strengths, a, a, a people who are filled with confidence because Jesus has died and risen from the dead. You have hope. You have hope that cannot be broken because Christ is alive and he is at work in you. And so we're to proclaim, we're to bear witness out of hope and not out of fear, but out of genuine hope, which stirs us up to genuine love. Thirdly, we're supposed to do it uh, first in community, second in hope, and then third by his word and spirit. I hope you've seen as we've worked through these different episodes of Paul's defense, defenses before these different rulers and authorities, uh, that every time he's given an opportunity, what does he do? He points to the scriptures. He, for him, that's, that's what we call the Old Testament. For him, it would just would have been the scriptures. He, didn't have, he wouldn't have called it the Old Testament necessarily. But every time, what's he doing? He's going to the prophets. He's going to the law of Moses. He's following the example of Jesus who said everything in the scriptures has been pointing to him all along the way. The prophets, the law, uh, the poets, the writings, the Psalms, the Proverbs, all of it was pointing to Jesus. Isn't that good news that you don't have to make up a message? You, you don't have to figure out where there's power uh, in, in the message. You've got God's word. Jesus tells a story in, the, in Luke's gospel, actually. Uh, Luke records it for us about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. You remember this story? The rich man is dining. He has an abundance of wealth. He has food on his table. Lazarus is this poor, uh, it's not the Lazarus who died and Jesus raised, but just Lazarus in the story. Lazarus is poor. Uh, he's so pitiful that even the dogs have pity on him and they lick his sores. Lazarus would do well simply to get the scraps from this rich man's table. And yet Lazarus, when he dies, he's in the bosom of Abraham and the rich man uh, is in hell. It's a story that Jesus is telling. And the rich man calls out to Lazarus from across this chasm between heaven and hell. Says, Lazarus, if, could you just go back to my father and my brothers and tell them, uh, tell them what's happened so that they don't end up in the same place that I am. And, and Lazarus says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them, let them listen to them. Uh, in other words, if they won't listen to the Bible, they won't listen to a man who comes back from the dead. There's power in the word of God. And we're called to bear witness, not making something up, uh, not, not simply uh, conforming everything to the things that people want to hear, but there's power in the word of God. And, and so it's, it's incumbent on us to know the word, to be rooted in God's word, uh, to study it, to learn it, to love it, to hide it in our hearts, to know the story in and out so that we're ready to give witness to the hope that we have in Jesus and to trust the spirit to do what only he can do. We bear witness in community. We bear witness in hope. 
We bear witness by his word and spirit, and we bear witness trusting God's providence and power. Trusting God's providence and power. Uh, those of you who were in Sunday school, I'll, I'll, I'll highlight part of your story. David and Danielle, this morning we were privileged to hear them share about God's work uh, in them and through them in Chile. And, and at least for me, one of the highlights was hearing God's providence uh, through your time there and, and your plans being disrupted and God using you to minister to the people around you. God does that. He's got a plan. We don't always know the ins and the outs. We don't always know the end from the beginning, but we know he's got a plan. He is at work unfailingly carrying out his purposes so that even when our purposes fail, his do not. Paul is in prison. Uh, he expected it, but I'm not sure that that was his plan. And we don't know, but I doubt it. But he was trusting God's providence. We see that in a couple of ways. As Luke ends this, uh, this book, he tells us in verse 30 that while Paul was there for two years at his own expense and his own dwelling, what was he doing? He's welcoming. He's welcoming all who come to him. He's doing that because he is trusting this is where God has placed me. I'd rather not be in chains, but if I'm in chains and people can come to me, I will welcome any who come to me. And while they're here, what's he doing? Proclaiming the kingdom, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, trusting God's providence. In his letter to the Philippians, which if my math is right, I think he wrote during this, this period, there's some debate over that, but I think he wrote it while he's in Rome. He's got... Um, a soldier chained to him day and night. God's providence puts this soldier next to Paul, the apostle. So what do you think Paul's doing? He's talking to that soldier about the Lord Jesus Christ and about the kingdom of God. And he tells us in Philippians that news of his imprisonment, by implication, news about Jesus, is spreading throughout the whole uh, guard there in Rome. One soldier hears it, another soldier hears it, and all these guys are standing around the water cooler at the local, you know, wherever the guards gather. Hey, have you, have you been at Paul's house? Have you, been, have you had Paul duty this week? Can you believe these things that he's saying? And they're talking about Jesus. Why? Because Paul is trusting in God's providence. Whoever is coming, he's welcoming, he's talking to the guard, and God's using that. And furthermore, he trusts in God's power. I love that this book ends with this phrase, without hindrance. I think that is just an incredibly hopeful way to end the book of Acts. Because we often, I think, uh, struggle with the hindrances that we face in bearing witness to the Lord Jesus, uh, wherever God has us, among our family, friends, coworkers. Uh, whatever the case may be, always, it feels like there's often hindrances, things in the way uh, that keep us from bearing witness to, to Jesus. Uh, and yet, here's Paul with a pretty big hindrance. He's, he's under house arrest, and he's, he's proclaiming Jesus without hindrance. And in 2 Timothy, um, uh, his last letter, he wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, he, he says, you got it on the front of your, your bulletin, 
It says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. That's, that's Paul's view of the power of the gospel. I'm bound with chains like a prisoner, but God's word is not bound. There are no hindrances for God, which I think ought to give us great confidence, humility, but great confidence to know that God is able to use even us. Maybe you feel like, I don't have words, I don't know how to talk well, I stumble over things, I get details mixed up. I know I do that a lot, and, and I, there's lots of hindrances that each of us have. Or we're afraid. Uh, what if my friend rejects what I'm sharing with them and it ruptures our friendship? What if my family member I start to share about Jesus and they say, yeah, but I remember when, and they start talking about your past or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, there's all kinds of things that we could view as hindrances to our sharing the gospel, bearing witness to Jesus. And yet, what have we seen Paul do? Paul with his great intellect, Paul with his uh, great ability to speak in front of people and to give a defense, a, a learned defense. What does Paul do most often? He points to his own life and he says, Jesus changed me. But look what God has done in, in my life. Uh, it's what he says in his word. He explains all of that. He says, Jesus changed me. I met him and he radically altered my life. And look at the change that he has done in me as evidence that his gospel is true, that there is really forgiveness of sins. If he could forgive uh, the chief of sinners such as I am, then he can forgive and have mercy on anyone who comes to him. Paul points to his own life and God's work in him. If you've met Jesus, if you've encountered the risen Christ through faith in his gospel, then, then you've got a testimony that you can point to and say, I've experienced the power of Christ in my life. He overcame all hindrances in me, and he will also give you the ability and strength to share, to bear witness to him uh, more and more as you humbly seek to do that, relying on his grace. There's power in the gospel, and that power ought to give us confidence that he is able to overcome any hindrances, whether it's stuff in us or stuff in others that put up a roadblock. God is able to bring to fullness his purposes even through us. The story ends abruptly. It ends anticlimactically. It does that to remind us that we're part of the story, that, that we're as much a part of the story as Paul and Peter and all these others that we know so famously. Probably nobody's going to write books about us. That's okay. That's not the point because it's God's story. God is at work, and he is using broken, humble, repentant, believing people to carry out his purposes, to continue this story, proclaiming the kingdom proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the forgiveness of sins through his name. Let us be faithful in carrying out our part. At the end of The Lord of the Rings, or near the end, uh, there's a wonderful scene that kind of captures a theme throughout the book uh, of the story that they're in. They, how's the story going to end? Who's going to write the ending of the story? And as Frodo Baggins, the one of the main characters in the story is he's leaving, going to the Grey Havens and leaving his best friend Sam Gamgee back in the Shire. As he's leaving, Frodo has been writing a book 
is continuing it from the, the things that Bilbo had written before. And Frodo has added his part of the story to the book. And as he's leaving, he gives it to Sam. Sam, this humble gardener, but the great hero of the story. He gives the book to Sam, and he tells Sam, Sam, the last pages are for you to fill in. And then, and then he goes on his way, and it's up to Sam to finish the story in a sense. In many ways, Luke is doing that for us. He's, he's finished his story. He, he ends with Paul under house arrest for two years, and then he's, he's handing it to us and saying, God's story continues. God is still at work expanding his kingdom through the proclamation of Jesus uh, and the forgiveness of sins through faith in his name. Here, you, you get to complete your pages in the story, in the community of the church, in hope and not in fear, by the power of his word and spirit, trusting in God's providence and God's power. May we do that all for his 